Hi everyone, welcome back to the Ask Mike show and today I'm joined with John Robb. John, thanks for being a guest. Yeah, hi Mike, how are you? Yeah, doing really great, thanks. So you're a music journalist and you've got your own website which is Louder Than War and you're a member of the Membranes as well, if if I'm right in saying that, and you do a lot in the music industry and entertainment industry and most other things as well. But I'm curious as to what your start was in music and was it that was that what came first? Was it music that came first or was it journalism that came first and what sort of brought okay, them together? Yeah. Well, when I was really young, uh, I was completely captivated by glam rock and watching it on top of the pops. It's all the great glam rock, you know, David Bowie, T-Rex, but also all the other glam rock, which isn't quite as cool, but, you know, like Glitter Band, Mud, Sweet, Slade, loved all those bands. But there's, I've grown up in Blackpool, where, where, where that's where I, where I was born. It was unattainable, all that music was like, it, you know, they could be made by people in outer space, as far as we were concerned. And then punk rock came along in 76, 77, and it was something that was so obtainable. It, part of the message was, you could do this yourself, and it's really empowering. So even people like us who never play guitars in our lives went and formed bands and tried to make sense of it all. So that's how I started playing music, 77, 78. But I started writing about it as well because somebody came to school and they brought a fanzine. One of the key things in punk was fanzines, which were really badly typed, um, photocopied sheets of paper about music. So, so instead of thinking you could only write about music in music papers, you realise you could write about it yourself, type it out yourself, photocopy it and sell it to your friends. And that's how I started uh, writing. You know, it wasn't like I did a writing course at college, none of that. It was actually just getting a typewriter and typing out articles and writing about the music scene that we had in Blackpool and beyond. And so it was very DIY, which is a very big part of punk rock culture, you know, do yourself. It was, you know, that was a message that came out. We, we got that loud and clear. So even though Blackpool wasn't really uh, on the on the cutting edge of the punk rock empire, it was, we still created a music scene there. So we put gigs on, we had our band, we wrote about the music. And then we just started moving out from there, you know, Manchester to Blackpool, then to London, then getting written about the music papers. And then because my fanzine was quite a well-known one, I got asked to be on the music papers as a writer, as a freelancer. And that, that's because I was writing there, then I got asked to write books, then I got asked to be on telly and on the radio. It's all, it's all like a, uh, an endless series of accidents, really. <laughs> That's really interesting when when you bring up the the interesting series of accidents. That sounds pretty uh pretty interesting in terms of like just how you phrase it. You know, it was an accident, it just worked out well. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. You know, it was it's, it was always like that. You know, it's, it was maybe 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 I was maybe I was quite good at it as well. I don't know. I've no idea. You know, you just you just wrote stuff and you just really into. Um, I'm really into words and anyway, you know, I like writing it and I like writing in my own style. See, I never went to a, a journalism college because they teach you how to write like a proper journalist, which is a craft and a skill, but I had never thought of myself as being a journalist. I think I'm more of a writer, really. So I describe things, you know, more than writing down facts. I mean, I could put I could, I could put it in, in, you know, the connotation, the depth and why it's there, et cetera, et cetera. But I still like the feeling if you read something, you feel like you're actually in the room at that moment of time. And that's always been my favourite kind of writing. And that's that. And music writing is free. You can write any style you want. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be any formal way of writing about music. And that's probably one of the sadder things in the last few years, that people actually go to colleges to learn to be music writers. It's kind of sad because there is no 
I don't think there is a house style. And also it's sad because there isn't really much of a career of being a music writer. <laughs> I mean, the internet uh, pretty well knackered it because now, and, and I guess this is probably fairer. If, you, if you're a music fan, you can go around streaming sites or YouTube and just follow one thing to another, make your own mind up. And really, you should be making your own mind up. But, you know, people still, at some point, some people still need gatekeepers or people who understand the context or people who are prepared to sift through everything that's out there a little bit more to find the new things or whatever the next thing is or put the old things into a different context. I mean, these are all parts, these are all strands of what it is to be a music writer. And in a way, it's a great grounding to write about other stuff as well or or ideas. It's a freedom of ideas, you know, because they always used to say sports writing was the best way to learn how to be a journalist because you have to be you have to be descriptive but succinct and full of facts, but in about two paragraphs. But I would sort of say music writing is good is good as well because it's it's kind of open ended and it's about ideas and you it's creative writing as well. And I, I love that word creative. I think it's important that things have a creative basis. So what would you say were the the big differences between the journalist style of writing and then the more creative style of music writing? I think you could say you could do anything in music writing. You know, if you if you hear a piece of music and really like it, you you could actually write a review. I really fucking like it, full stop, and that could be it. And that would actually be a valid piece of music writing, you know. Or you could write a ten thousand word piece on it. I think it's that open ended. There is no to me, there is no rules on how you write. So when people come to my site to be writers, they say, How do you want me to write? I say, Well, it's up to you, you know. I mean There'll be a few things I'll say, you know, it'd be better if you, I could see the strengths in your writing. If you if you kind of go, if you play your strengths, that'd be good. Uh, but I think the only rule is never be boring. You know, that's in music writing, you could be anything. You, you could just pop a YouTube clip and not even write a word. You know, it's, 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 it is that open-ended. It's, it's communicating a feeling or a passion for a piece of sound. So how do you go above boring then because to be people that are quite new to the concept of writing that you might read it and go mm, that is probably a little bit on the side of boring but then you might read something that they've tweaked as well so maybe they've made changes and it's instantly you know, not boring for want of a better expression so what 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 makes it boring and how can people kind of can uh, avoid well, it that's hard to define isn't it because everybody's got a different the only thing i could say and i think this isn't true with anything in music you have to go with instinct so if you feel a piece of writing is brilliant it's brilliant to you and then, then it works or if you hear a piece of music and everyone's going oh that's the worst thing ever but you're going oh that's total genius to me then it's total genius, isn't it? So it's <laughs> so, so you you have to trust your instincts and your feelings on things. I think I think probably the most boring way of writing about music is that really formal. Uh, you've learned it at college way of writing about it. You know, it has to be a certain way. I, I just want to know. I think music writing is quite. It can be quite self indulgent, and that's a strength because it's about your relationship to a piece of musical art. You know, and I want to know what that is. What does it make you feel like? You know, when you hear a piece of music. Does it make you feel ecstatic or bored? You know, it does, I don't. I don't want. I don't care about the names of the people of the band. I don't think that's so interesting. If it's a new band, obviously, if it's an older band, it has a context to it. But um, it's it's what your relationship to it is, and that's that's a spark, and that's that's a point where the reader goes, okay, I like that kind of feeling. I will investigate this piece of art or music and see if it makes happens to me as well. What made you? 
want to start louder than war then? Because that's the website that you you started. And what made you start that? And then is it your is it your perception that makes people write for your publication? Or do you have other people sort of judging it as well? Or is there a level of like automatic acceptance onto your platform in that way? Yeah, well, I was writing for other websites and then I decided to do my own. So uh, they're, they're quite good, the other websites. They helped me set it up as well, which is pretty cool of them. Uh, um, but the site, it, it shouldn't really have a line to it. It should be like anything that people w- want to write. You can, you can disagree. I don't tell people what to like. I think that's always madness. You know, it's, it's up to them what they like and they can write about it in, in the ways they want. I mean, I'll, I'll help them a little bit, but it's not for me to dictate what they write about. Not at all. I mean, it does make sense because, as you say, it is a perception. It is a, I don't know what you like, but if you like it, then that's, then that's okay. So from the writer's perspective then, is it more about, as you said, playing to your strengths, but then understanding what your audience likes as well? I don't think you should worry about your audience. I think anything like that, you know, if you make a piece of music, you, don't, you can't tailor make it for your audience. You just have to make it. Um, and it's the same with the website as well. I mean, because now the internet, I mean, you will have a core of an audience that read your website, but quite often people just read one piece and come back six months later. You know, it's because it goes out of social networking. If you write a piece about a certain band and people like that band, they'll come and read that piece, but they won't read the rest of your website, you know, and there's no point stressing about that. That's how modern media works. You know, people pick a mix. People read six, seven different websites in a day, you know, or, or they'll read other people's, what other people think about it in a Facebook page can be just as important. I mean, media is fractured now. As you as you know, there's so many different types of media with with all different, you know, when I, when I was growing up, there'd be about four or five journalists who like the kind of music that we would make and two radio DJs, and that would be it. That was all there was. But now there's 10,000 and they all have smaller reaches. So you have to hope you get a certain percentage of them. I mean, modern life's like that, and always in it, politics, music, culture. It's 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 a patchwork, and it? it's it's a very fast-moving patchwork. That's what the digital world's done, really. It's interesting that you bring up the fact that people can watch and listen to and read multiple different sites at the same time, because so many people struggle with like, trying to keep hold of. Their, their audience, their listenership, their readership, their whatever it is. And it's been a difficult conversation with myself when I first started with this thing, with the writing and the podcast and all those things. Because when I first started, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that you know, people that listen to other shows can also listen to mine and vice versa. Although people don't have a lot of spare time, they can still do a lot with the time that they have, you know, and they can listen to like four podcasts in a week and one of them can be yours. That's definitely doable. It's definitely possible. So once I wrap my head around the whole kind of, as long as what I do is helpful, as long as what I do is valuable to people, people will listen and they will go and listen to something else and they'll go and watch something else from somebody else. And that's, that's how the world works. I like how you described it as a patchwork. Um, I probably describe it as like a, a jigsaw as well to a certain degree, like with different pieces from different people. And um, I think that's 
that's how a lot of people do it these days, isn't it? Yeah, I think some people actually had three, they got three medias on at the same time, you know, so people, you know, people have YouTube on, the sound turned down while they listen to Spotify, while they're on Facebook, yeah. playing little bits of music, you know, it's flicking from one thing to another. And it's, you know, the tension span is super short now. So even when people listen to podcasts, I mean, yeah, quite often they'll listen to all the way to the end. But if you look at the stats of most podcasts, they decay pretty quick. You know, the first 10 minutes, 100%. By the time it gets 30, 40 minutes, it's down to about 10, 15%. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a measure of the quality of the podcast. It's a measure of the way people uh, consume media. It's um, it's kind of, you know, they'll, they'll sort of half listen to it, something will spark their attention, then they'll drift off again, get distracted by something else on the laptop. And that that's how it works. And you have to realize that. And you to get that to get your ideas through, you you have to sort of squeeze them in the gaps in a sense. But that's not an argument against long form, because I like long form. Maybe because I'm older, but I do like long articles, you know, where you can get really immersed inside them. I, like, I still like albums, you know, but I don't listen to vinyl, but I would listen to a whole album on Spotify. Um, or, or like a, a lot of podcasts could be really fascinating. You can get lost in a podcast for an hour or even two hours. You know, there's no, it doesn't mean that sort of media is completely dead, but it's, it has to compete with a thousand competing different types of media all at the same time. So maybe it forms a, a background and people sort of dip in and out of it, you know, so the podcast is running and then they'll turn it down and look at something on YouTube and go back to the podcast. So it's, but, you know, mate, there's, you could argue, it's always like that, when, you know, people used to read newspapers, they would just flick from one article to another. They wouldn't read everything, every word of every single piece, you know, it's, but it's just now everything goes faster, everything goes quicker, you know, just because that's what, that's what the internet does. It's, it's, it's a barrage of ideas and people just cram them all in really quickly. You know, in, in about 10 years' time, we'll, we'll, we'll have uh, evolved into strange-looking creatures of the like sort of digital antennae, <laughs> so we can keep up with all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a strange situation where, like, for instance, use myself as an example, I can listen to a two-hour podcast on two times speed that's how i tend to listen to my to my shows i listen to it on twice speed and then i can listen to a 15 minute podcast but do like three or four of them back to back because i don't listen to them every day so it helps to be able to batch a few of the smaller ones in as well um and i'm happy to do both i'm happy to be like knee deep into an idea at the same time, I like the short, sharp, get to the point, move on at the same time. So I think it just depends on what people are in the mood for, depends on what people want, which then brings up what you brought up before, which is sometimes you've just got to create for yourself. And when people want it or want to listen to it or want to read it or consume it, then it's there for them like on demand almost. I never thought of that, of... Um... Speeding them up, that's really great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a really cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of a lot of getting used to. When I when I first did it, I was like, how do people do this? This is outrageous. How do people I'm at my brain can't operate quick enough to catch up with the words and I listen to half of it, gotta to listen to it twice, and you think you may as well listen to it at normal speed then. If you're gonna turn the speed up to double. But after listening to it twice, you may as well just get through on normal speed. What are you doing? But eventually, it's weird how the mind works. Like when I 
when I sort of scroll social media, sometimes people have those like brain tests whereby the first letter and last letter of every word is right, but all the yeah. they're all jumbled up and you can still read it. Yeah, I wonder if it gets people just cherry pick odd little phrases or even just feel, not even list it, but just feel it coming in without even concentrating on the words. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it does it does happen that way, but then I've noticed that for myself anyway, probably a few people listening to this at two times speed will realize that like the important points, your brain naturally speeds up to slow them down. And then yeah. it's up to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. So it's just a weird way of of doing it, but it does get easier the more you do it. It does get easier. But with everything that's going on, with all of the information that we have access to, two quick questions. First thing, how did you come up with the name Louder Than War for your own platform? And then because you've got a lot of media you're dealing with, whether you're creating it or consuming it, do you have any strategies for handling the amount of information that you're processing? Well, the name came from um, the Manic Street Preachers played a gig in Cuba and Fidel Castro went to the gig and they said, it's got to be very loud, the gig. He came backstage and he said, loud, it cannot be louder than war, which is a great phrase, you know, and I like the idea that music is louder than war, you know, in a sense, trying to drown out the madness, which would be a great name for, another, for a website as well. So, so yeah, because it's always, you always have that thing when you start anything off, you have to spend ages trying to think of the name of it. It's actually a waste of time, isn't it? Because you just want to get something you like pretty quick and go with it. And, that, and the meaning in the end creates its own meaning. So, um, yeah, so, so that, that's how the name came about. What, what was the second part of that question? The, the second part was strategies for coping with the amount of information that you're dealing with, whether you're creating information or absorbing it. Do you have any strategies for people that are struggling to cope? Um, well, we don't really. I think most people are right for it. They just dip in and out of it, you know. And there are there are some of the editors do try and take too much on, and I just say no, just back off and do less, you know. And and we and we got a team now. It's it's good because there's quite a lot of editors because we don't work like a normal, uh, say, newspaper or magazine sort of format. There's about twenty thirty people have access to the site with passwords, and they can put their own articles up or they can. Um, they could put, you know, uh, they could put stringers, freelancers stuff up as well. So it's very much a team effort. It's, I, I can, I'm kind of the front of it because I'm probably the best known person there, etc. But it's, it's a platform for other people to use. I mean, that's, it's not really, like I think we were saying before, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have a central editorial policy. It's, it's just a space for music fans to enthuse about music or argue about music, you know, and that's that rolling debate. And I like that. I like that idea, you know, that it's, that, I like the idea of it contradicting itself. I think that's important. Contradicting yourself is quite a it's quite an interesting concept, isn't it? Because it implies that you're changing or it implies that you're growing or that your ideas have changed maybe over the, the months or the years. And have you ever had that moment where you have contradicted yourself and have you picked yourself up on it or somebody else had to to do that how did you navigate that and i think it's fair if we talk about the music you like or culture into you should always contradict yourself it's 
I never understand people who are loyal to one type of music all their lives. I mean, I, I still like music I liked 40, 50 years ago, but it's not the only music I like. I just add things onto the pile all the time. I don't feel like I have to like four groups and that's it and nothing else ever happened. You know, and, and, or if I went off those that, that, that music, I could go, I, I'm free to go off it as well. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's between me and my, and my instincts, my, my own taste, and it's got nothing to do with anybody else. So when I write about music, I think about that in those terms as well. You can, you know, you can, you can, you can say something's brilliant one day and terrible the next day, and it could be the same thing. I mean, that happens, doesn't it? There's, there's some music you get so immersed in, you go down the rabbit hole and you listen to it for, for ages, and then you get so sick of it, you never listen to it again in your life. I mean, that, I mean, that, that's how people listen to music. It, it's not, it's, it's not a fair system, is it? It's not meant to be fair, is it? It's just, it's what you like and it's what you don't like. And it's, you don't owe anything to anybody else. You're just reflecting your own taste. And that's the weird thing about music writing. You know, it's, I mean, I suppose if you're writing um, a book, it's got more of a historical context to it. So you sort of have to say where that stuff came from and why it happened. And that's, that can be different. That's a different way of writing. But I think if you're writing on a website, it's very much off that moment and what you feel in that moment. And it can be quite intense what you feel in that moment as well. What you said there sort of implies that loyalty is very, very difficult to, I guess, I wouldn't say condition is the right word, but it's very, very difficult to achieve because everyone's bouncing around and consuming so many different things at once and reading articles, listening to music, following bands, all that sort of thing. It can be very hard to sort of encourage someone that's listened to you or read your stuff for the first time to then instantly sort of buy into your thoughts and your concepts and then keep reading your stuff because they like it enough to keep doing it, you know, which is quite a difficult skill to do, I imagine. I think um, there's, there's going to be a core of people who are interested in your take on things and the, on what you, th- and they know what you like and don't like. And that can help when you read people's stuff because you get the context to it. But there's going to be like an awful lot of people who haven't got any idea of who you are or why you write about things and they just take it at the surface, which is great as well. You know, they're, they're more interested in the person that you're writing about, which I think is, um, in the end, I think everybody has to realise that, you know, who writes about musical culture, that even if you're one of the better known people in culture, you've still got, you're still way down the ladder from the people you're writing about. You know, if when you put events on, you realise this pretty quickly, that if you put a musician on, they'll always sell way more tickets than a music writer because the, you know, music writers, there's a certain iconography in music writers, but outside that world, it really doesn't matter that much, you know. But even like a mid-table band will have a, a much stronger core of people interested in what they're doing and, and, and a fierce loyalty. And that's interesting, actually. You know, it's interesting that music has more value than music writing because music writing is a creative form, but the music itself is actually at the top of the pile. And I think people should remember that as well. It's important. Yeah, the the art is... I mean, we, when I've had a chat with a few people about music and the role music can play for people, I mean, I, I've listened to songs that have taken me all the way back to my childhood, all the way back to particular events. So it's very strongly linked like in our brains and our memories and things as well. 
And I think that because of that, music's always going to be a massive part of culture as well. And I think it's at the forefront, I suppose, more so than the writer, because there are lots of singers and composers that write for other artists. And yet we might not even know that that's the case until it comes out in the media, let's say. So it, it can be it can be something that's more behind the scenes, can't it? Oh, yeah, completely, yeah. I mean, it's there's so many, it just flows in so many different ways, doesn't it? You know, and, you know, why things work, why, why you know, why, why it's quite interesting. I mean, I, actually, you shouldn't really even think about it too much. That's the other thing. You should just, you listen to it, you feel it, and you describe that feeling. Is is the core of a good piece of music writing, and I think if you start to think too much about the people reading it, you just drive yourself insane, you know? Cause that's, just, I mean, like I say before, you know, when, when it's, when it's, um, when, when music writing is, is different from normal writing, it's not right, like write about politics or, 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 um, or news writing. It's, it's, it's very fluid music. It's really hard to pin it down, you know, and it's, it is about the feeling more than the facts. Yeah. I, I completely echo that. I think that if you can feel it, then that's that, that's what you would write about. You know, it's, it's very difficult to write about anything else, I think. Like if it's a song that makes you feel a particular way, that's the kind of thing that you want to write about. Now, not everybody would feel that same way, but then that, that's one of the benefits of being unique as well, I suppose. But the writing that you're writing is if you share what you're feeling and all the emotions that are involved that's a more powerful way to write in my mind than just sharing the facts about the song. Yeah. I think you said it really is the core and the key to it, isn't it? And, and I think it was interesting is if people don't even agree what you say, that could be really interesting as well, because, you know, it, it could be a piece of music that you, you just don't like, but somebody else has got a very uh, eloquent and fierce description of what it means to them. That could be great to read as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So with that said then, John, how did the membranes get started? We seem to be doing pretty well on the, the music writing side, but where did the whole, like, I want to start the, the band come into it? Well, it's, that was that punk and post-punk period, the idea that anybody could go and make music and create. So we just went went for it, you know, and we never played guitars. I never had a guitar lessons or anything. We just worked it out. Uh, but we made our own musical language, really. We didn't know chords or uh, scales. We just we just made things that sounded good to us. So we just, and that's how we always made our music. And then we, even when we took 20 years off and came back again, we just kind of carried on in that way. I mean, obviously, after all about a time, you, you can, you're much more fluid on your instrument than the first time you play. But we don't, still don't really work within the rules, you know. So when I made the last couple, when I made the last album, where there's a lot of, stuff with the choir on it. I mean, they were writing the music down as musical notation, which is, which is incredible because I was just singing the parts at them, stood in front of the choir going, it has to go like this, whatever. And I don't really know how you put a choir into a song. I could just hear it in my head. And and from that, you just, you just make it happen by waving your hands around and singing bits of stuff to people and playing the other instruments yourself or with the band. Yeah. And, in a way, there's a purity to that because it is exactly as it is, as it comes it comes out like that. So no matter how complex you make the music, hmm. it still purely comes out of you. And, 
and it's, it was and it's not a pop band which is which is again it's a craft i mean making pop music is a very big skill to be able to make music yeah to sell a million records to understand what people want but we, we're the opposite of that we just make the music and we we, we, we hope a million people buy it but it's nowhere near that <laughs> it's an interesting point when you're so focused on the art of it and actually making the music does that affect the music creation when it doesn't sell as well or not many people listen to it as you would have hoped? Well, it, may, it makes your life more difficult because you're always struggling to be able to afford to do stuff. Uh, and obviously it's, it'd be nice if more people liked it because it may, it will make your life easier. And also there's flattery and ego that's always in there as well. But in the end, you just kind of stuck what you're stuck with, aren't you? You know, it's yeah. I mean, I know especially the last couple of albums have been really great records, but it's, it's in a very narrow field, you know, they, they work really well for what they are. And if you, the people that get that kind of music totally love them, but to most people, it would just seem like this m- most insane concept. <laughs> it's not, it's not the kind of music most people listen to. And I don't, I don't know how it ended up like that. It wasn't meant to, it just, that's just the way it came out really. With your experience then, you've obviously been, very immersed in the music industry for for quite a while now. How have you noticed the role of music changing? Because you do a lot of research and writing for your journalistic pieces as well. So it's different going to come from you than from someone that's just a composer or just a singer or just an artist. So I'd be really, really curious to hear your perspective on how music has changed over time. I think, uh, well, again, the internet was a massive impacting thing, wasn't it? I think it made everything available all at once and everyone got deluged with music. But oddly, it kind of pushed music more into the background than it used to be. So when I was growing up, football and music were the key uh, battlegrounds of the playground. You know, that's how everyone defined themselves, you know, what they were, what they dressed like, what they listened to what football team they supported, were, the, were the, the, the defining core of people in the 70s and 80s. But now music is something you have on the background while you're doing a computer game. And it's, I mean, gaming is is the key culture now from the 30s, which is quite fascinating, I think. You know, I, I was speaking to them the other day and they were saying like now, obviously you know about all this stuff, but you have, you have games where they're on 24 hours a day and they'll have a band playing in the middle of the game as a gig as part of the computer game and the band will get like a million people watching it. And it's like, it's like a whole other world just flickering out there completely different from what it used to be. I think we live in a very multimedia time now. So like, you know, gaming, streaming, YouTube, music, um, all, all stuff that's on computers and digital all mashing together. So, which is odd when you make a piece of music, because to me, music is very all consuming. I, I like listening to music in headphones yeah. And getting lost inside the music itself. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, it's it's it is something that's just and I know people that will listen to music on the podcast at the same time and just dip the put the music just behind the podcast, you know, and it's it's not got the full uh beam of attention that it would have had at one time, you know. So in the sixties, say, if the Beatles brought out a single, it was a major cultural event, you know, that was that was the moment of the year, whereas now uh, even this has gone past this stage, but when iPhone brought out a phone, that would be on the news as a major cultural event, you know. So the technology 
or or the all the other kind of mediums, all those things have become the mainstream. But they, they all they all work in pop cultural ways. So what the, how they work is copied off pop music in a sense. You know, it's the way pop culture kind of invented the modern playing field, and it's at the back of it somewhere. I mean, even, even modern politics is presented in a pop culture way. You know, in pop culture, it didn't really matter what was true and what wasn't, you know. So, like, the Sex Pistols are one of the greatest bands of all time, but but half their story is sort of not really that true and it doesn't really matter, you know. And the 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 myth was, and this is what people always said, the myth is far more interesting than the reality. And it is in pop culture, but the trouble is people have extrapolated that idea out and put it into places where, really, the realities should be more important. Most bands, when they get really massive, you know, they get they just get deluded and lost in their worlds. Yeah, it seems like the the perception of everything to do with music is a little bit more important, I suppose, than the actual songs. You know how they're perceived, the meaning behind them, and all, all that sort of picture. I guess is a little bit bigger or a little bit more influential than, than the song itself. Yeah, well, it's, it's you definitely find this out when you try and get a track playing the radios. They don't really listen to the track. They, they're more into, what's more important to them is their perception of what you are. So, you know, no matter, and we're, and we're quite a diverse kind of music we make in the band. So the last single we made was just, just the choir singing over a, a pretty cool little beat, a little rhythm we had to it. And it's quite a beautiful track. It's quite epic and quite spectral. Yeah. And we took we took it to the radio. And if it'd been anybody else, it would have got the radio. But but they just assumed, oh no, well that that yeah, we really like what they do. It's really noisy and the and blah blah blah. But it's not really for daytime. You can't play that in the daytime. But yeah, well, it's not actually like that. But you, you've not actually even listened to the track, so your perception goes right in front of you all the time. And I think and uh, I mean this will this will be something I would say to a writer is is try and get beyond perception, you know, it's uh, at least listen to it. And I know in music, all the other things are important. Of course, the perception's important. Of course, and especially in the UK, it's what you look like, what you dress like, how you live. The whole thing is part of it. You know, the all the greatest bands are 360 works of art, you know, and, you know, the whole, and the mythology is important as well. But you have, at some point, you're going to have to listen to the music as well because <laughs> you, you can't just have, it's like a, Instead of having a three fifty and not a three sixty, where, where where you do everything apart from the, the music, ten is 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 odd, isn't it? I mean, the music's got to be central, and everything else moves around it. It would be interesting though if the whole image was created, but there was no music at the end. It'd be like getting to the other, yeah, yeah, one go in. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people have done that. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So where can people learn more about you, John? Tell us about the, the websites and some final thoughts before we finish. Uh, well, the website's louderthanwar.com. So just feel free to drop in and, and maybe join the Facebook page to get updates on the content. The band's a member, and you say thing, come to the Facebook page, um, come make friends. I mean, listen to us on Spotify so we can earn a millionth of a penny every time you listen to us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then just the usual social networking, isn't it? You know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just put my name in there. I'll turn up J O H N R O B B. 
All right, John. Well, it's been great to have you on as a guest. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. For those that are tuning in, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you reach out to John as well. Have any questions or love the kinds of things that he talks about on Louder Than War. And John, thanks again. I look forward to keeping in touch.